Uh, if you've got a Bible, you might like to, to keep it open there. Uh, back in the 1980s, this is the decade of my birth, by the way, the 80s, uh, just for the sake of interest. Uh, back in the 80s, uh, Barrister Quinton Hogg was promoted to the position of, of Chief Judge of England's highest court, the House of Lords. So that meant instead of being known as just ordinary old Quinton Hogg, he became Lord Hailsham, Lord High Chancellor of England. And apparently there was a group of American tourists uh, visiting the English Parliament and being given a tour. And at the time, the Lord Chancellor was in procession. So you picture him in the wig, you know, that the, the judges wear and the black three-cornered hat and he had a great uh, gown on and in front of him was his purse bearer who, who apparently carried a beautifully embroidered uh, bag that used to hold the great seal of England uh, and behind was his train bearer. Uh, quite a scene. Uh, while walking along looking magnificent, uh, Lord Halsham just happened to notice a mate, uh, a friend, and he called out, Neil, uh, <laughs> the American tourists were watching and listening and immediately they dropped to their knees. Uh, they thought that they were in the presence of some awesome dignitary uh, and they responded giving him the honour and the respect that they thought that he was due. Do you imagine old Neil had a good day? Uh, that day. Um, this afternoon, we're continuing in this book, Malachi, uh, the last book in the Hebrew Scriptures, the end of the Old Testament, and the Lord's people, they're in relationship with the Almighty Lord Himself. Except both the priests and the people, unlike the American tourists in the presence of Lord Hailsham, they do not show the Lord the honour and respect that he is due. Uh, in the first half of what Bindi read for us, chapter 1, verse 6 to 14, that the people and the priests, that they fail to honour and respect the Lord in that they give him their dregs. They give him the leftovers instead of giving him their very best. That's the first half. And in the second Half of uh, what Bindi read, chapter 2, verse 1 to 9, the priests, they fail to honour the Lord as they don't take God or his word seriously and they abuse their position of power for their own interests. It's a heavy word from, from the Lord to his people. And as we look at those two sections, we'll just consider how might this apply to us as the local church, God's people today? And you might recall, if you were here last week, that the situation that Malachi speaks to is a people who are dragging their feet in relation to God. They've returned from exile. The temple has been rebuilt. The temple worship is underway again. But 70, 80 years of being back in the promised land, day-to-day -day life was not that amazing. They were still living under Persian rule. They were just a pokey little group of, of nobodies. And the glory of the Lord hadn't returned to the temple as, as Ezekiel had said that it would. So that's the context where the Lord says, you see chapter 1 verse 6, a son honours his father 
and a slave his master. If I'm a father, where's the honour due me? If I'm a master, where is the respect due me? Says the Lord Almighty. So I guess it was commonly held children were to honour their parents in in this culture. A servant is to respect the, the master. If so, what about me, says the Lord to his people? Where's the honour and respect for me? And you notice the accusation, it begins generally, but then it narrows to the priests. We read, it's you priests who show contempt for my name. And to show contempt for God's name is to show contempt for, to God himself. You, you can't divorce the two. Disrespect, dishonour. The, the people's response? We, we read, you know, that there's the dialogue, the back and forwards, but you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? Like a kid who's caught in the middle of doing the wrong thing. They plead ignorance. Oh, I, I'm not sure what you're talking about. How have we shown you contempt? Well, the Lord answers, by offering defiled food at my altar. They still don't acknowledge their guilt. How have we defiled you? Well, in verse 7 and 8, the Lord makes it very clear. Instead of offering uh, completely healthy animals for the temple sacrifices, as the law instructed them to do, the people and the priests were offering their rubbish. (laughs) the lame, the blind, and the diseased animals. In verse 8, the Lord says, try that on your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Obviously, no. To understand the Christian faith, and particularly the person and work of Jesus, we have to work hard at entering the Bible worldview, don't we? And Malachi helps us to do that in a really challenging way. Uh, In the second book of the Bible, uh, there's Genesis book 1, Exodus book 2. The Israelites were rescued from slavery in Egypt and they were rescued for a purpose so that they might worship the Lord. See, the God of the Bible is not an impersonal deity like the other gods that were being worshipped around the place. But he's personal and relational. And in making a people for himself by rescuing them from slavery in Egypt and making them into a a nation, he wanted to be with his people, to dwell among his people. But because all people are sinful, you and I included, and the Lord is holy, there's some real difficulty there. A sinful person cannot just wander up to the Lord Almighty. But graciously, the Lord made a way to dwell with his people of old. He would live among them through the provision of the temple. And then the sacrificial system, a reminder that this this holy God must be respected and that sin must be dealt with. The people were told how they were to worship the Lord in the Lord's way. They were to bring the best animals. But they gave him their rubbish, their leftovers. 
And to say that they were just going through the motions in their relationship with the Lord Almighty is something of an understatement. So we're here this afternoon and we think about, well, how does this apply to us? Since Malachi, a lot has happened in that big Bible storyline. Jesus has fulfilled that the temple and the sacrificial system, that there's no need for those things anymore. Jesus is a once-for-all sacrifice dying in our place. We come to God through him. Our sin is dealt with. We're forgiven, adopted into God's family. We've been moved from spiritual death to life. We're a new creation, spiritually speaking. That's God's people today. The old sacrificial system is done with. But we're still not to give God our dregs, hey? In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, the Apostle Paul, having sort of spent chapters and chapters outlining the wonders of the good news of Jesus, he says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, and we sit there a while with God's mercy in the sights, all that we have in Christ, in view of God's mercy, Offer your bodies as living, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. It's a, it's a picture of giving our whole selves to the Lord, isn't it? A living sacrifice, that is, I'm now living for him in, in all of my life. A response of thanks, a response of praise, a, a picture of enjoying God as, as we live for him with his mercy fixed firmly in our sights. So if you're someone this afternoon who who has put your trust in Jesus, you're a believer, but if God is getting the dregs, the leftovers of your life, something is drastically wrong. Something is amiss. And we say, sorry, Lord, that's what we do, don't we? We say, sorry, Lord, please help. Thank you for Jesus and help me understand more of what I have in him. And it is not try harder, pull your socks up, grit your teeth. But it's sit with God's mercy in your sights. In view of God's mercy, all that we have in Jesus And then we get on with sacrificially serving him. God gives us his best. He sends the perfect sacrifice. The spotless lamb. The lamb who takes away the sin of the world. He sends God the son to die in our place. And our response is to give him our best. Uh, And it's possible that you feel as though serving Jesus gets in the way of enjoying life. Uh, The Bible reading is boring and praying is a pain. Uh, Church, a way to spoil a relaxing Sunday afternoon. If serving Jesus has become that way for you, I'd love to know. I'd love to hear from you. 
But can I just encourage you again, look again. Look again at what all that you have in Christ. Some of you know that famous quote from C.S. Lewis, and it's so well known, I'm reluctant to use it. But it's a great quote. We're half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition. When infinite joy is offered us, we're like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because they cannot imagine what is meant by a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Back in Malachi, God isn't happy with the dregs. In verse 10, we read, Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light fires on my altar. I'm not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering at your hands. The Lord would rather shut down the temple, his dwelling place among his people, than to see his people go on dragging their feet like this. But despite God's people treating his name with contempt, you see verse 11, he will still ensure that his name is on it. Uh, My name will be great among the nations. From the rising to the setting of the sun in every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to me because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. While Israel's role, their mission, having been rescued from slavery in Egypt, was to make the Lord known to the nations as they live differently for him. Others would have noticed and want to join in worshipping the Lord. Even if they fail, and they did, God will still be glorified. You see verse 11 again, statements like this, that they normally work on that trajectory, don't they? The prophecy is, is partially fulfilled in the near future, but that partial fulfillment anticipates its ultimate fulfillment at a later time. So, so who was bringing the, the pure offerings back in Malachi's day? Well, the likely answer is faithful Jews who weren't actually living in the land even after the exile, living in other countries and perhaps converted foreigners. But ultimately, this verse 11 is fulfilled in Jesus. Because Jesus, he breaks down the racial barriers in the national borders, doesn't he? It's not just Israel who worship the Lord, but it's people from every tribe and language. God is today worshipped throughout the entire world. The people and the priests, they have dishonoured the Lord by giving their dregs. But God wants our best. Chapter 2, verse 1 to 9 is the second bit. It's the Lord accusing the priests of dodgy leadership. And like the people, they're just mucking around with God. You see this? uh, And if things don't change, they'll pay. See chapter 2, verse 2 and 3. I'll send a curse on you, says the Lord. I'll curse your blessings. Yes, I've already cursed them because you have not resolved to honour me 
Because of you, I will, I will rebuke your descendants. I will smear on your faces the dung from the festival sacrifices. And you'll be carried off with it. It's a vivid picture, isn't it? A significant warning, a face covered in animal poo. I mean, the Jews were serious about being clean. And the Lord is going to... And off they go with the poo to the rubbish heap. The Lord warns the priests as he wants his covenant with Levi to continue. You see that in verse 4. Levi was one of the 12 tribes of Israel and the tribe that the priests came from. In verses 5 to 7, you see that the priests were to honour God by teaching his law, by speaking the truth, by living godly lives and by helping people turn from sin. They failed. In fact, they did the exact opposite. In verse 8 and 9, we see that instead of living godly lives, they turned from the way. Instead of teaching God's law and helping people turn from sin, they caused many to stumble Instead of being God's trustworthy messengers, they abused their power and they showed favouritism. We think about applying that to us today, this afternoon, where we don't have priests. In the same way, Jesus fulfills the priestly role. We're all little p priests, the priesthood of, of believers. But we, we do have Christian leaders. And we get the temptation for a leader, don't we? Uh, someone doesn't like a particular thing that God says in his word, the Bible. A whole community or a whole generation doesn't like something that God says in his word. And the temptation, well, let's just put that one aside and not talk about that. Sin, we don't like to talk about that anymore. Well, let's forget it. The sexual ethics of the Bible. And so people are led astray. What do we look for in our Christian leaders? Leaders who faithfully teach the Bible. Leaders who live godly lives. Leaders who impact the lives of others for, for, for Christ and his kingdom. That applies to people like me in uh, full-time pastoral ministry, to, to Liz, our women's ministry worker, to our elders, to our small group leaders, to our Sunday kids teachers, to our youth leaders, wherever we have responsibility for the spiritual well-being of others. To parents. It's the same temptation as for the priests in Malachi's time. You imagine someone bringing their dodgy animal to the, to the temple to be sacrificed. Oh, come on, mate, I've just brought it all this way. It'll do, won't it? You know, the, the temple's in a pretty bad shape anyway. Come on. Uh, David Hansen, who, who's written a book called The Art of Pastoring, he, he says Christians today often go to church to feel better about themselves. He says, I'm tempted as a pastor to want to help people feel better about themselves rather than direct them to love and follow Jesus Christ 
however difficult and painful and inconvenient and uncomfortable. We all want the quick fix, he says. Give me the medication or the technique or the book to read so I can be all fixed up. But living for Jesus is not about the quick fix. It's about costly discipleship. It's about constant prayer and regular Bible reading to marinate our minds and hearts on God's word so our priorities, our ambitions, our motives are shaped by the gospel and controlled by the Holy Spirit. It's about changed lives, changed lifestyles, saying sorry regularly and admitting you're wrong to others and being prepared to die to lifelong ambition. It's about loving those you struggle to even like, forgiving those who don't deserve your forgiveness, risking being unpopular because you speak for Jesus, being at church when you'd rather have a Sunday morning lie-in or a Sunday afternoon nap. He says it's much easier as a pastor to say nice and affirming things to people than to speak God's word into people's lives, especially when God is exposing sin or demanding change. People don't often want to hear that stuff, but that's what God calls us to do. It's a really long quote, I recognise that. Christian leaders are not to pander to the whims, people's whims, where to honour God. It's not about being liked. Like Malachi of old, the messenger, whatever your leadership role, and I'm sure if you think hard enough, you've all got one, where to speak God's word into the lives of his people, however hard and painful it may be, so that we might all live lives that honour him. So this afternoon, can I just think, this is heavy, isn't it? Uh, It really is. Um, Maybe go home this afternoon on your own or if if you're married, sit together and are you giving God the honour that he's due? Just ask that question and and reflect on it. Are you giving God the honour that he is due? And and you picture the the judge all dressed up, don't you, and the the Americans dropping to their knees instantly and we laugh because we're Aussies and we don't get on our knees for anyone. But we get on our knees for King Jesus. Do you honour God? Well, we've got to fix his mercy in the sights, don't we? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for Malachi. We thank you for the challenging word he brought to your people of old. And Lord, we're conscious that there's things you say clearly in your word that we just try and wriggle out of because we don't like them. Forgive us, we pray. And Lord, As Toby prayed, we we ask that you would give us hearts that are willing and eager to honour you. Lord, we're sorry for being complacent. We're sorry for giving you our dregs. 
for ordering our lives around things like work and sex and ambition. For this, Lord, we're sorry. And this afternoon we bow before you and we pray for your mercy and grace and we fix our eyes on Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that you didn't hold back your good, that you gave us your best in him, that he might pay the penalty for our sin. And we thank you so much for this. And we pray that we would be a community that honours you, that reveres your name. And that while we dress casually, we would not be casual in our approach to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.